Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. What a wonderful day to celebrate Christmas together. Um, I do thoroughly hope that you've enjoyed seeing some Christmas carols. Um, I know having spent many years working in retail, where you just have them repeated over and over and over again, it took me many years before I was able to actually sing them with any form of joy. Um, so I hope that uh, your singing of carols each year is filled with joy. And uh, this, this series we've done over the last three weeks has been all about Hope for a change, peace for a change, and today is good news for a change. Um, I mean, we've come to expect uh, good news to be rare. See, it always surprises us. Good news always surprises us. What we've come to expect when we watch the news is bad news, right? It, it, it's always bad, pretty much. I mean, every time you see a news bulletin, it's full of bad news. You know, growing up, we'd always have the, uh, we'd have tea at 6pm every night growing up. And what was, our lounge room where we, we spent most of our, our eating as a family, uh, the dining table was in there as well. And so we had the TV on over every meal watching the news as we ate and talked and stuff as a family. That's what we did my whole entire life growing up, was we ate together as a family with the news on in the background. And when Kay and I got married, I just turned the TV on while we ate, and so we watched the news. But then when Joshua was little, we were in Adelaide, and um, he started talking very early. His first words were at six months. And by nine months, he could tell you what colour boats were in the in the bath um, and we Kelly switched on very quickly to the fact that the news was always bad and those words didn't need to be soaking into little ears and so we turned the news off and have never turned it on since my parents still have it on unless we're with them we now say no no we don't need that sort of bad news entering our minds all the time so we don't watch news bulletins on television and uh, it, it, I mean, when you think of the news, it's all about disputes, disasters, accidents, crime, and that's just Victorian Parliament. Um, 
news bulletins are full of bad news. And the good stories that are encouraging, they are few and far between. Because catastrophes get more readers, more viewers, and more clicks. I think back to when the miners were trapped in Beaconsfield in 2006. At that time, we were living in Tasmania. And it felt like the whole entire nation lived that experience through the television all together as one because you could not turn on a station and it not be live coverage. It was almost impossible. Back then, you think about it, what channels did we have? Only the main ones. We didn't have all these other, other ones. And they all were running, rolling, rolling coverage of this disaster 24-7. And that, for me, was the first time that I really noticed how oversaturated it was for this disastrous event. Obviously, we're very thankful that two of those three miners made out of out alive. Um, everyone forgets Brant Webb, uh, who passed. Um, but all the breakfast shows with viewership skyrocketing through, they all moved their... Um, they broadcast to the town of Beaconsfield and lived it. And I remember the footage of David Koch being given by one of the miners his, his pass, and that was something he holds very dear. But why would a news presenter be off of that in the first place? To me, it's an example of this new wave of media saturation around bad stories that's only continued and gotten worse. I mean, it's, it's a real challenge that it's just overpowering. And we've been so conditioned to expect the worst, even, even more so in recent times, we've been conditioned to anticipate the next outbreak, the next lockdown or the next variant. We've been conditioned to expect our travel plans to be destroyed. I mean, I saw something on Facebook was quite funny. It was like, oh, it's Omicron season already. I've still got my Delta decorations up. <laughs> We've been conditioned to expect the worst. You know, this coming week, we were supposed to be packing our bags and heading off to South Australia for two, two weeks, holidays. Well, that didn't happen, did it? We're staying home because we couldn't have gotten into SA. And you never know what Dan will do with these new powers he has and borders and all the other sort of stuff going on. So it was easier for us, instead of getting disappointed and having to cancel our plans and waiting until the last moment to see what the rules are then, we just cancelled them ages ago and was like, nah, we're, we're done. You know, instead of having our hopes dashed, let's dash them early so they don't get too high, right? Um, better do that than to plan and leave and have those plans destroyed, I figured. And that's one example of how we've been conditioned to expect the worst. What plans have you not made that you might have made otherwise or that you can't make because you're prevented from? Like we're, that, that's how we're living our lives, is planning for the worst almost. We have little expectation of positive change and we can become cynical, we can come, become sceptical and certainly we can become hardened. You know, I have little hope of positive, lasting and immediate change when it comes to COVID rules here in Victoria. It's high time the government stepped back 
and let us manage our risks like we do with everything else every time we leave the house. I've become more cynical. Have you? I've become more sceptical and I'm already a sceptical person. Have you? I've become more hardened. Have you? I mean, for someone like me, who I always am sceptical, it's been really hard through all of this. And I don't think I'm alone, that it's been hard. You know, in our Bible reading today, we saw, though, that the shepherds were very surprised. They were very surprised. I mean, good news surprises us, and I think it was the same for the shepherds. See, they were just out tending their flock just like any other night. They were out on the hard ground, the night sky and darkness all around them, the cold of night in that desert air, all the smells and noises of sheep all around them and probably plenty of their own smells too. I mean, when was the last time any of these shepherds would have had a shower? Crazy to think, you know. But it was, it was the same as any other night, any other ordinary, boring, mundane shepherding night, not expecting any news of any kind. And bam! You are all awake? The, the angels broke into their ordinary night, you know, and, and it would have been an amazing sight, really, you know, wouldn't it? There would have been such overwhelming light as the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone around them. I mean, you think of the glory of the Lord was so bright when Moses met with the Lord, he had to cover his face with a veil so they wouldn't scare people, right? Like this is that glory shining all around. And can you imagine after seeing that scene, what the sheep would have done? Like just think, like sheep aren't the smartest creatures are they but they would have made some noise too i reckon they would have been bleating like crazy having seen this scene and then the angel comes down and says don't be afraid like of course those are the first words you had to say aren't they like don't be afraid i bring you news of great joy and then a company of heavenly hosts appeared and started singing Glory to God in the highest. You know, in the movie world and, you know, when we watch movies with amazing CGI technology and all this sort of stuff, if we saw something like that, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But if you've never seen computer graphic images like the quality we have now, and then you see this happen for the first time in your life with no prior experience, no warning... It would have been like, have I gone insane? Merv, Merv, did you see this? I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy, am I? His name might have not been Merv, but like, that would have been crazy. They would never have seen anything like that in their natural existence. Then they see this. I reckon there would have been some explosions going on in here. 
then to hear these words. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news will cause great joy for all the people. That's what we're told happened here. This is why the angel broke in to their existence to tell them good news. Surprising, isn't it? But why is it good news? Well, it's good news because God is not who we always maybe thought he was. See, God is not standing far off watching his world go to ruin with grim satisfaction. This is what many people have thought of God through the ages. Some even today believe that God is like a master clockmaker, having wound up the earth eons ago and then set it going. And now he just sits back and watches as time passes. But that is not what the Bible tells us about God. The good news is that God is not standing far off watching his world go to ruin with grim satisfaction. He stepped into the world to rescue us. God made a promise to save his people. He promised a Messiah. He promised a way to rescue us from all that is evil and bring to us all that is good. He has seen our trouble. He loves us and he is willing to do what it takes to bring us life and joy and hope and peace. God stepped into our world to rescue us by sending his only son out of the great love that he has for each one of us. He cares for us so much that he provided Jesus to bear our sin and shame so that we could be free to enter into a relationship with him as father by faith and be saved from wrath. He has seen our trouble. He has seen the terrible consequences and effects of our sin, but he loves us. And he did what it takes to bring us life and hope and joy and peace, even knowing what we were going to do to reject him and to sin. That's why it is good news. And it's good news because the future is in God's hands. And he is powerful enough and good enough to be trusted with it. You know, personally, it is good news for you because... If you by faith believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then your future is sealed and your destiny is secured in him. But it's also good news for the whole world because when Christ returns, there will be an opportunity for every person to repent of sin as we have done and by faith believe upon the Lord and be saved as well. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where we will all dwell for the, with the Lord for all eternity. The future is in God's hands and he is powerful enough and good enough to be trusted with it. You know, this would be true for no other person in the history of the world. Not a single person 
other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are powerful enough or good enough to be trusted with our future. But there is good news because God is. God is. There is good news for the shepherds. They got to see baby Jesus in the beginning of God's redemptive plan literally birthed. You know, but it is also good news for all who are burdened down with responsibilities and difficulties. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I mean, how many of us are weary and burdened? How many of us are tired and in need of rest? Jesus says that rest is found in him. There is good news for all of us too. You know, many of us are in such need of joy and peace that the very concepts almost seem foreign. When was the last time you said to yourself, this is such a wonderful moment of joy and peace? When was that last time? If your life is anything like my life, it's been a while. But this good news that came to the shepherds is also good news for each of us. It really is news and it really is good. And it is good news for a change. Not just good news, surprisingly, instead of bad news. Like, oh, that's a change from what I expected. I was expecting bad news. It's good news for a change. Good news for a change in us. Why does it bring change? Well, God invites people not to follow beliefs or rules or instructions, but to know him and to know his son, Jesus. I mean, how many times have you heard different people talking about Christianity as a whole bunch of rules to follow, as a killjoy and as a burden and a restriction on life? Like, that's what so many people think Christianity is. Oh, you can't do all the fun stuff. But... Rules, beliefs, instructions, that's what religion is. But not what a relationship with Jesus is. See, God doesn't invite people to follow a a set of beliefs or a long list of rules or a whole bunch of instructions. God invites us to know him and to know his son, Jesus. When you think of religion, what is religion? Religion is, you must do this in order to earn God's favour. What is relationship with Jesus? I have done this already for you so that you can have relationship with me. That's very different to religion. You don't have to do anything to earn God's favour. We are saved by faith alone. If you want to know more about that, then go back to our Roman series. Knowing Jesus changes people from the inside out. I mean, look at the account of the shepherds from from Luke 2. And you can see that they are transformed. We see from the account that they left their flocks, their livelihood, their whole lifestyle. They left their flocks to go and spread the good news. They left their flocks and went to Bethlehem 
where they saw Jesus. When they had seen Jesus, we are told that they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about Jesus. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Their former priorities, forgotten. Their encounter with Jesus changed them from the inside out. They then became heralds of the good news of Jesus. And this is not uncommon for people as they have an encounter with Jesus. Many people, once they meet Jesus, become heralds of the good news of Jesus to others. They become changed people as we, most of all of us, have become changed people. The good news of Jesus brings change in each of us. And it's not so much, oh, now we want to follow the rules. It's Now we want to obey our Lord and Saviour. We want to live lives that bring glory and honour to Him. And so we might choose to make different choices because of our priorities, because we've been changed from the inside out by Jesus, by an encounter with Jesus. And so it's not that we now have to follow rules. It's now that we get to enjoy a relationship with Jesus and we choose to honour Him. That's a big change from the inside out. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for the one who set us free. That's a big change. Changed people, empowered by God, bring change to the world around them, beginning with their families, spreading to friends, neighbours, colleagues, and even further afield. And this has happened again and again throughout history of every nation in the world. You know, in the Bible, there is a story in John 4 of a royal official whose son was sick. When the official heard that Jesus was in a town a distance from him, he went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son who was about to die. Jesus didn't go with the man. But he spoke and he said, go, your son will live. The royal official, it says, took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. When we have an encounter of faith with Jesus, we become changed people. And changed people empowered by God bring change to the world around them, beginning with their families. This man's whole household believed in Jesus following the father's encounter with Jesus. Men, I talk to you for a moment. It is so important that we lead our families well to know and love the Lord, to provide grace and love and space for our kids to make mistakes but to know that they are loved and accepted by us 
and by a God who loves them too. You know, one truth is that no one can ever outsin the grace of God. Our kids can't either. It's our job to raise them well. And just because they might have left home, your job as a father does not stop. It is time we lead our families as best as God enables us to. I know that so many are doing such a good job, so be encouraged as well. As changed people empowered by God, we bring change to the world around us, beginning with our families, just like the royal official. And not just our families, but this change begins spreading to our friends. Why is it always easier for many of us to make friends with other Christians? It's always easier. It's because we have shared values. You know, we have inbuilt affinities, if you like. But we really should work on developing and maintaining our friendships with friends who have yet to become followers of Jesus, who are yet to have an encounter of faith with Jesus. And so as changed people, our change might need to begin up here and begin by spreading that change to our friends as well and then to our neighbours as well and to our workplaces as well and further afield. I mean, we find it so much easier to make friends with Christians because of shared values. So it's harder to make friends with people who aren't Christians. And God asks us sometimes to do the harder thing, not just the easy thing. So let's be prepared for that. You know, when I worked at the cemetery, I had a very diverse team that I worked with. One of them was completely agnostic. He believed there was no God, but kindness to animals was really important to him. Strange. Another believed in ancient alien civilizations who helped build the pyramids and felt a real affinity with Native American Indians. As an Italian, it was a bit strange. Another was a, a Mason, a Freemason, and he used to say that he was a Christian. But there was no fruit of that. In fact, quite the opposite. And uh, he was really happy to share about several things with his Mason doings and happy to share about some stuff um, what he was doing, no content, but of course the busyness. Um, he would give labels to all of his busyness, which good on him. And he's, we got talking one day and he said that all Freemasons had to believe that there was a higher power or being. Now, for me, I would call that higher power or being God, right? And a lot of Freemasons, because of this belief in a higher power being, a lot of Freemasons, there are a lot of Christians in Freemasonry. But can I just say, it is dangerous. My parents uh, had a guy in the church when we were in New South Wales um, who was a, a Freemason. And he had gone through all the steps, going higher and higher and higher, 
because you're only ever told what you need to do to get to the next step once you're ready to do that. It's only at that point, yes, when you agree to take that step, are you told what it requires. He got to the second highest step you possibly could. He was then told what the highest step required. That was allegiance to Satan. They don't tell you when you're down here. It's only when you're at the very pinnacle of what you have to do that you find that out. Very challenging. If you had a different idea of Freemasonry, well, maybe the truth hurts and maybe there's some people you need to reach out to. Um, but anyway, I was talking to him and he was talking about this higher power that he believed in and he called himself a Christian. I said, so you say you're a Christian, so you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Saviour? Oh, no. I said, then don't call yourself a Christian. You know, I was, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I said, so, so who do you believe that higher power is? And he goes, me. I am God. And I went, explains a lot. Explained plenty. And it was interesting in that environment with the person who loved animals but didn't believe in God, the person who believed in ancient aliens who built the pyramids and, and loved uh, 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 American Indian culture as an Italian, and then the Freemason who believed he himself was God. Um, it was a really interesting environment to have spiritual conversations with and in. But I was able to actually share a lot about the Bible, the gospel particularly. I was like to share my beliefs and how they impact my life. Um, I was able to actually spend a lot of time in, those, in the place where I worked, sharing about the good news of change in us, available freely to all. You know, do you know why those that work, do you know why you work? Yes, it's to provide for your family. Yes, it's to, to you know, uh, uh, be, be good with your hands and to do what's required. It's to bring change. It's to bring change in others as we share about the hope we have in Jesus Christ. That's why God has placed us in community groups. That's why God has placed us in organisations, volunteer organisations and, and in our workplaces to bring the good news of Jesus, which brings change in us all and through us to the world around us. I want to share a few examples from history of people who brought change to the world through their faith in Jesus. I mean, I could easily point to well-known characters like William Tyndale, whose first English translation forms 80% of your Bible today in English, who translated the scriptures into English even though it was illegal. I could also talk about William Wilberforce, who campaigned successfully for the abolishment of slavery. Or C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, but investigated the claims of Christ and came to faith as he investigated those claims and wrote amazing books and articles inspiring thousands and millions of people in their faith. Or Eric Liddell, a 400-metre Olympic champion who turned down the opportunity to run in the 100 metres was a shoe-in to win it because the heats involved running on a Sunday, which he considered sacred. 
I could talk about Billy Graham. I could talk about Martin Luther King Jr. What about Chuck Norris? You know, Chuck Norris, the iconic manly star of Walker, Texas Ranger. He is easy, easily one of the most famous people in Hollywood to become a born-again Christian. You know, since officially converting, he has written a number of Christian books. He's been vocal about his belief that children in American public schools should be educated about the Bible. Chuck Norris, a great Christian. What about Alice Cooper? You know Alice Cooper, the godfather of shock rock? He's a devout Christian. In 2006, Cooper shocked many of his most faithful followers when he announced that he was turning away from his reckless life and had become a born-again Christian. I mean, the long-time music icon is still most famous for his goth music and appearance, his elaborate life of performances and typical rock and roll lifestyle, enjoying women, drugs and booze. But while Cooper's Christian conversion helped him move past the harmful lifestyle that he was trapped in, he insists he's still a rebel. He said, drinking beer is easy, trashing your hotel room is easy, but being a Christian, that's a tough call, that's rebellion. You rebels, you bunch of rebels. But have you heard of Nabil Qureshi? Well, Nabil Qureshi's life changed unexpectedly during medical school when he decided to read the Bible in order to debate a Christian friend. Now, he'd been raised in a Pakistani-American Muslim family and Qureshi found that his experience with the Bible actually led him to Christ. Today, he's the author of the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and encourages Christians to remember to love and reach out to their Muslim neighbours. God asks us at times to do the harder things. Have you come across Nick Vucic? Although Australian Nick Vucic was born without arms or legs, an extremely rare medical condition, he hasn't let that slow him down much. Uh, Vucic has taught himself to accomplish about just about any day-to-day task. He swims, he surfs, he dives, he plays soccer, feats that led Oprah Winfrey to call him a symbol of triumph. These days, Nick lives in California with his family and spends time travelling the world with his ministry, Life Without Limbs, where he shares his powerful testimony that all things are possible with Christ. He has changed countless lives through sharing about the good news of Jesus. And you know whose name I could speak next? Yours. You each have impacted lives around you. You don't need to be famous to have changed someone's life. The good news of Jesus both surprises us and changes us, which leads to change through us to the world around us. You can change someone's whole world by simply planting a seed and you might never even know. 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. The seed of faith that you plant in someone might be watered by another person, but God is the one reaching them through us. 
In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. So here's something to think about from this parable. How much growth will happen if no one sows a seed? None. None. You can't grow stuff if you don't have seed. So how are we supposed to bring change in the world around us if we don't sow those seeds of faith? You know, the, it is true though, that even if we sow seed, there'll be some eaten by birds. Some will spread up quickly and wither. Some will get choked out. But there'll be some seed that grows with abundance and blessing. What is the least amount of yield that this passage says? It's 30, 30 times. That's the least. 36 or 100 is the possibility. There will be some seed that grows with abundance and blessing. Now, we can't control the growth. We read earlier from Corinthians that that is God's job. Our job is to be faithful seed sowers. Sowing seeds of good news and great joy in Jesus. The good news of Jesus both surprises us and changes us, which leads to change through us to the world around us. So I guess I have one question left to ask, and that's this. First of all, are you open to the good news? Are you ready to be radically changed by it? Are you ready to be part of a bigger change for good? I certainly hope so. Because the good news of Jesus both surprises us and changes us, which leads to change through us to the world around us. Are you going to be a faithful seed sower? Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that 
you have given us such an amazing job to do, a task to do, to reach others with the message of love and joy and hope and peace that is in you. Lord, your good news does surprise us. And Lord, we thank you that it has changed us. And Lord, we pray that you would reinvigorate a heart and a passion within us, particularly over this this Christmas season, as we're going to be catching up with so many friends and family. Lord, that you would help that change in us lead to change through us to the world around us. Lord, we, we do bring our family who do not know you before you. Lord, we ask that you would help us sow seeds of faith into their life over these coming weeks ahead. Lord, we pray that you would use us to bring life and hope and joy and peace, that you would use us to bring change and the hope of the gospel. Lord, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.